Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to Film Fandango, the film podcast. My name is David Reed, and this is Marek Larwood. Hello, Marek. Well, I say Matt Lowe, but someone stopped me um, in this at uh, a, a, a bar uh, the other week and, and uh, asked if I was someone else. Who did they think you were? Matt Lucas. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and the fact that I'm bald, features-wise, not really very similar. Absolutely no. I mean, you're bald, but he has alopecia. I mean, he, he doesn't alope- have any hair at all. No. So and I've got quite big, pronounced blue eyes and a pointy nose. He there's literally nothing no. about our faces. No, other than. But maybe it was that they recognised you and they couldn't put their finger on where, so they went for a punt of "Are you mad?" <laughs> it's as if you would mistake you for another person who had hair. Just start saying, are you Sigourney Weaver? Are you, yeah, are you the newsreader? Um, Hugh, what's his name? Hugh, uh, oh, yeah, what is his name? He's a bellend, yeah, sure. Is he, yeah, okay, Hugh. The um, I think I've told the story before, but uh, as we've probably just lost most listeners from uh, a few years ago, the BBC newsreader Hugh Edwards is his name. I was doing a show about seven or eight years ago when I was in work. At the BBC, we were there every day writing this thing, and Hugh was always there walking around. And he let the door go, big glass doors. He let the door go in my face. Literally, it was quite obvious I was behind him. Not we did it once, and I thought that's a bit out of order. And then within about two or three days, he did it again, <laughs> three times in about the course of two weeks. Wow! And walk around literally as if he was God. Actively, I, 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 mean, love, reads, I love it if there was actually footage of of him clearly letting the door go in someone's face and not holding it open for them. He reads an auto cue for a living. I mean, yeah. I ha- every time I watch the news, I hate him. I think to try and make out he's a nice bloke. He's a bell end. He's a bell end. He should be shot. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, for the people who don't know, you can look up Hugh. It's spelled H U W Hugh Edwards, a newsreader. One of the people I have to endure on television most nights, and I see his face, and I think, well, no, you people don't know that the public don't know that you it, are. It brings person. all the bad memories back because, of course, 
your TV screen is a bit like a glass door yeah, that you're I having to watch you I feel myself flinching constantly. Wow. And he just, he's just been able to get away with it. For I'm years, and years continue, and years. And continue with his career. If anyone else has been affected by Hugh Edwards and his glass door shenanigans, then please go to filmfandango.com and let us know by filling out the form. Right to the BBC Complaints Department. Yeah, or we could, we could amass a campaign. We must stop this man from being the voice of reason when he's clearly an unreasonable arsehole. Mm-hmm. That's the main point of this podcast. Both the other one is films, isn't it? It is films. We are here to uh, predominantly talk about films. And before we start in earnest, we should say we are sponsored by Her Film Project, who are an organisation that help promote diversity in films. Um, so if you're trying to get your film made or you're just interested in supporting such a cause, then go to herfilmproject.com and follow Her Film Project on Twitter. Do you think if I was to make a film, a documentary, mm. about trying to kill... Hugh Edwards mm. it would definitely be submittable as evidence in court no but I could get money from her film project uh, no I don't think I don't think it, well is a murderer a minority voice yes oh I'd hope so I hope the majority of people aren't murderers I'm Just going to lazy plea, ones. I'll, I'll plea insanity sure they can listen to this and they go, yeah. Well, they go, not. but you plan to plead insanity, so you're clearly yeah, not they'll, insane. They'll listen, they'll listen to some of these, me banging on, and they listen. Someone have to listen to the entire back catalogue of film Fantango and they say, yes, he went mad a long time ago. Yeah, and not guilty. <laughs> not guilty. Well, guilty, but diminished responsibility. So what happens? Then you just get, I get put in a. You get put in an asylum until they deem you're safe. Again, like which may throw, never happen. One for the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, that's the thing. Trying to prove you're not mad makes you look mad. Yes. Oh, Don't do that. Just let it go. Or try and ban all glass doors from the BBC. You'd probably have more of a chance of doing that. Uh, we are going to talk about films instead of you, Edwards. Um, yes, I have been to see a film, Marek. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I have seen a film. It's a Stephen Frears film called Victoria and Abdul. I've seen it advertised on buses. That's right. It's a big bus film. Um, this is... It's a bit like Diana when she got off with the Indian doctor, but it's Queen Victoria. It's a similar scandal, actually, at the time. This is um, a film uh, that is based on a true story, and it is it stars Judi Dench as Queen Victoria once again. Um... And Judy Dench is old now. Sad. She is, I think, a month or two older in this film than Victoria was when she died. Wow. Yeah. And Victoria old was old. How old is Judy Dench? 70 to me. Um, I'm looking it up, mate. She's 82. Wow. Yeah. So Victoria and Abdul tells the story of Queen Victoria and... Um, uh, an Indian fellow called Abdul Karim. And it's not Karim Abdul Jabbar. The it's boss. not Karim Abdul Jabbar. I made that mistake whilst watching it and thought, this can't be true. Karim Abdul Jabbar was an airplane. But it, it's. A famous it, basketball player. That's right, who appears in a lot of comedies for some reason. He's in basketball as well. Um, no, it's about um, uh, a guy who's brought over as a servant to Queen Victoria and then she strikes up a. Uh, very familiar friendship with him and he ends up travelling with her wherever she goes and it causes a lot of consternation and outrage in her household. Um, 
spear. Well, did she did she get off with him? No, uh, no. But it she she. There's a lot of jealousy, but also there is a lot of white colonial uh, feeling that uh, this man is inferior and is not deserving of the queen's attention and ad- admiration. Um, and this attitude is spearheaded by her son Bertie the Prince of Wales played by Eddie Izzard very odd choice oh no very odd not not, but not bad at it like he, he is very watchable but it, it's a slightly odd choice to play a sort I've of I've already sh- gone off Eddie Izzard um, a shitty uh, a shitty son but this is the unofficial sequel to uh, Mrs Brown which I haven't watched since it came out in the 90s. Oh, which was uh, Billy Connolly. Billy Connolly playing John Brown, who was a Scottish servant that Queen Victoria struck up a uh, very close relationship with and went everywhere with after the death of Albert. And this is actually true. John Brown was before um, Abdul. Um, And so she seems to have done this. And, she and she actually, likes her close friends. She likes she? her. Cl- she likes a, a male companion. She likes her close friends, and she likes someone who's slightly outside of the the uh, usual people she has mm. to deal with on a daily basis. It would seem. Um, but it's it's the true story. I think is a better story than this film because oh, really? the film is very light and fluffy. It feels like a post Downton Abbey period drama where everything's a bit like a rom-com and quite very very black and white and simple and the nice people are purely nice and the evil people are purely evil and it doesn't it tries to paint Queen Victoria as absolutely faultless in her attitudes towards foreigners which I very much doubt she was Um, you know it was a different time it's uh, so it's it's an enjoyable film, um, but I it made me want to read more about the actual story because the, the very little evidence of Abdul exists because her son, upon her death, had all of his letters and correspondence rubbed out, a, rubbed out a pencil. He burnt them. He he had his premises uh, broken into and all of his letters from her burnt. This is before the old, um, what's it called, it? shredding. Before the shredder, you had to use fire and servants. Um, but There's the arsehole dog next door for our listeners. Yay! <laughs> the arsehole dog next door. Um, Bud's been very good. I'll just... Back. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I talked for, uh, about the people build, building houses around the back of my house for, yes. for two years. Yes. they finished now. Oh, amazing. But guess what's arrived? Uh, rock musicians. No, an arsehole dog. Really? Literally, look like your dog, just barks Ugh. every hour, uh, like it's just been left outside by Well, that's, that's usually what it is, I've found, because uh, I've now flanked my arsehole dogs, there's uh, two on both sides. And it's when the owners go out, they just leave the balcony door open for the dog to go to the toilet, and the dog obviously just stays there barking at things in the street because it's bored out of its mind. But that doesn't happen in Victorian Abdul, though. No, it does not happen. There is, there's very little dog comedy in Victorian Abdul. Um, there is... Uh, what was I going to say? Um, I, I wanted to say that uh, Adil Akhtar plays uh, the other Indian man who was sent over to... Uh, present Queen Victoria with a coin I think it is and that's how they get involved in this whole thing yeah he plays a character called Mohammed and 
he is brilliant and, and totally underused and is actually a far more interesting character than Abdul because Abdul seems to just adore the Queen for seemingly no reason and is 100% devoted to her for reasons we don't really understand or never get down to or maybe he's a robot really examine he, he's sort of like a hunky robot whereas a delectar just wants to go home um, and hates it here because it's cold and you know doesn't understand why they're supposed to be excited by this honour and he's a far more interesting character and is sadly sort of played like comedy light relief and then the story suddenly does something really weird with him that is not what you do with a comedy light relief character and it's it's a bit jarring Okay, but so this it's it's light and it's fluffy. What been the real story then? Uh, to to the actual uh, Abdul Karim, he he you know he was she tried to knight him. She tried to make him a knight of the realm, and people were furious. But um, no, he was he was there at her uh, deathbed. He was invited in uh, to uh, to see her. You know her sh- her shwami, as she called him, I think. He was sort of like a spiritual advisor, and he taught her uh, languages and stuff. Mm. But uh, yeah, no, he, he so he does seem to have actually be a real figure, and it should it actually, therefore, as we've not heard of him before, is probably an important part of our history that certainly seems to be very cherry picked with what we teach in schools. Like we learn almost nothing about colonial Britain even though that has influenced current Britain more than any other period in history. Like, we learnt so much about the Tudors, which, you know, although it influences what buildings we can go and see when we go on trips to different towns, Yeah, actually, our colonial era is... I mean, I know they're one and the same, but, the, you know, the Victorian era... Um, it's not, what, it? what happened abroad? Whenever we talk about the Victorian era, we always seem to talk about London, and that's sort of it. Yeah. Um... No, it is interesting uh, to actually see what was the relationship with foreign actual people rather than just subjugated groups. Well, how many Davids? I think I'd give it six. It's an enjoyable afternoon film. It's not brilliant. Is it some, one, something to watch with your gran? Yes, I think grands would love it, actually. Yeah. And it, you know what it feels slightly like? It feels slightly like a cynical betting that Dame Judi Dench will die soon because it's basically the last days of Queen Victoria so it's you know it's what a nice old lady she was and we'll miss her greatly kind of a film I can't believe she's 82 well her eyesight's completely gone so she can't do script reads and stuff anymore oh really yeah yeah it's really going it's very sad she went to my school what same year yeah that's right she was, she'd been held down a lot. Very dim. Yeah. <laughs> Not the same year. But she, uh, yeah, she's from York originally. Well, um, well, and well, should we um, what? do this? I'll put that away. No, this. Oh, right, yeah. Go on, you can do some reading. All right. Here's a letter from Elizabeth who says, Dear David Marrick, buddy, and Dick Dog. Good name. Dick Dog. Dick Dog's a good name, yeah. Please can you read this email in the voice of an Enid Blyton child? That's what I sound like, apparently, even though I'm a 37-year-old woman. 
Okay. I just wanted to give you some reassurance that you have got at least one new listener. In May, I went all the way to London to see the recording of Le Carry on Spying and fell a tiny bit in love with David. David? Oh. Well, it was a nice suit. Oh, thank you. What were you wearing, a suit? My only suit. Mm, that's <laughs> a good job as a nice one, mate. Yeah. Then I found the podcast while searching for more things David was in. I listen at work, so I get through about eight episodes a day before, what? before I feel like I'm in a weird dream world and have to listen to something else. David, I like that you start off every episode northern before gradually reverting to RP. It's very true, and I'll tell you why. Because as soon as I start doing voiceover stuff, I slowly gravitate towards my sheriff's succumbing voice, which is more like this and just <laughs> like this. It's just muscle memory. I can't. Uh. It's weird. Um, Elizabeth continues. I went to see Wonder Woman. I was disappointed that none of the Amazons had lopped off a boob. I have started watching Marvel's Defenders on Netflix, but I was uh, learning to use Photoshop at the time, so it was a bit confusing and crap. I think I'm going to have to go back and watch the last two episodes of each of the feeder series. I can never remember what everyone's deal is. I hope it's not just me who gets this. It's probably why I gave up on Game of Thrones after three series is is... Anyway, I'll probably write in again when Death of Stalin comes out in October, or possibly Kingsman if I'm bored enough to see that at the cinema. I really like the first one. Speaking of sequels, I'm afraid Flatliners will be terrible. Keep watching the films by Liz. Uh, Sounds like you've got an admirer. Well, there we go. Uh, thank I wonder you, if Elizabeth. It's, um, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, it's sounding a bit like her. No, she's put a surname. And um, What's the Queen's surname? It's Windsor, isn't it? Yeah, it's not that. Not that. Um, I'm really looking forward to Death of Stalin, which is Armando Iannucci's latest film, which has an incredible cast. It, it was there are trailers on it for cinema for it. Yeah, and for Blade Runner, the new Blade Runner, which feelings I, feelings about the new Blade Runner? I'm not. It looked like too. It looked like an odd. There's far too much Harrison Ford in it, so it felt a bit like Star Wars with Harrison Ford coming back. The Empire yeah. Strikes, not the um, the new one. Force Awakens. Oh, here we go. Literally, this letter here mm-hmm. is from Dan Rogers. He says, uh, do your favourite films age well? That's the subject. Hi, guys. Just saw the trailer for the new Blade Runner movie. There we go. Well, well cinema with my son. He's 15 and hadn't seen the original. Um, so I decided to enrich my mind, his mind, by sitting down with him and watching... Uh, so what's this? What, this isn't, it's doing something weird, the email here. Sorry about this. Uh, I started to enrich his mind by sitting down with him and watching films I regard as classics. I started with The Fifth Element and so far, so good. He enjoyed it but couldn't get his head round that bloke from Rush Hour talking like that. (laughs) It's true. It's a very odd performance. I was worried it wouldn't age well, but it did. Are there films you both regard as classics that, when viewed in 2017, might not be as good as you thought? Keep talking about the bumming man. (laughs) (laughs) Next on my list, Watch with Sunlist, are Blade Runner, Pulp Fiction and True Romance. A very good list. I think Blade Runner, I, when I first saw it, I didn't like it. Uh, the original Blade Runner. I, saw, I, didn't, I didn't finish watching it. I was about... When did it come out? In 82 or something like that? There's a very crap version of Blade Runner knocking about, though, isn't it? The original one with voiceover. No, I, I've watched it and it's so jarring because it, it's terrible and Harrison Ford clearly isn't committed to doing this voiceover and it comes sort of once every 20 minutes there's another line and you're like mm. um, and it tries to explain everything that's going on and it's terrible and as soon as they get rid of that voiceover it's a brilliant film I think you need to be older to appreciate 
Blade Runner. Because it's about well, life. It's no, about, I loved it when I was about, younger. It's about. I think if you're twelve or thirteen, yeah, you you might not have the whole idea about life and death, and that is not as relevant as it is as you get older. I think. Did I tell you I sat next to Rutger Hauer recently? Watching what? Watching Blade Runner. <laughs> he came round. We watched it. Did together. he have a white dove in his hand? Yeah, I had no choice whether he was there or not. No, I did a table read through for a British sitcom that he's in. Oh yes, I know that one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I I arrived. Um, it's the first person there. It's called Porters. It's about hospital porters, and it was actually the read through was in. Uh, the disused part of a hospital because that was clearly where they were going to film and I arrived early before everyone else and didn't know anything about it I was just looking at they have name labels on the table so I was like oh Susan McComber okay she's doing this okay um, and she's like oh Rodger Hauer what <laughs> in a sitcom <laughs> but he was absolutely charming uh, but it was nice to meet him he must be getting on a bit now yeah yeah uh, films that haven't aged well though yes but I, when, I think I mentioned it before I watched Ghostbusters again and Bill Murray's um, character comes across as a bit of a misogynist mm, a bit creepy yeah, yeah. His, whole, his whole thing about going after Scorny Weaver isn't as funny now and a bit pervy yeah it's a bit that news story about the guy playing piano until he gets his girlfriend back isn't it it's that thing of just like that is a very outdated form of romantic and is now just sinister. Yeah. Did you see that story, the one I'm talking about? Yeah, I felt bad that he got so criticised. Well, not really. I mean, she said no and he's gone, well, I'm going to p- say piano until she says yes. It's sort of completely disregarding her feelings, isn't it? Arsehole. I think he's a <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, that was a sick. Can we bleep that out? Sure. <laughs> um... <laughs> Here we go. Here's another letter. This is from Connor, who wrote in last week. Uh, Connor says, Dear David Marrick and Buddy... Is he still spelling my name wrong? Yeah, he is. Yeah. With a C and a K. Extra. Extra letters. I've noticed an increase of emotionally exploitative documentaries, films and podcasts recently. Whereas Weepies were once derided, low-rent, made-for-TV fodder, do you think the genre has snuck back into the respectable mainstream? You might not like my examples, but I'm thinking of documentaries like Dear Zachary and Dreams of a Life, which are plainly designed to make you tearful at the end. Are we being duped? Interested in your thoughts, Connor. I mean, I would... I I totally disagree with Dear Zachary. It is not designed that way. That's because where it went. I mean, the fact it's sad is not the same as button pushing. The content of that uh, film is just so incredible... But you cannot say this, but it's yeah, yeah it's not. I think way. Connor, maybe what you're recognising is you've watched a lot of these things, so you start to notice the techniques, and uh, it is a tricky one that when you you recognise technique more than you're taken away with the story, because that's that is the danger of just getting more familiar with this medium, isn't it? That you start to notice the strings far more, and therefore you start to resent the fact they're being used. Uh, but how else do you tell a story other than by you know? making choices music is I think people a lot of documentaries are so I don't like about them are, do sort of lead people with the soundtrack and the score which trying to create an atmosphere isn't necessarily there an example being I uh, am I watch a documentary basically I'm named after a boy who 
a Polish boy who had a heart operation in the 70s and he died and there was a documentary that my mum watched in 1975 about him having this operation this heart operation and it all going wrong and I watched that documentary when I was about 35 and it was fascinating seeing it in an old documentary next to the modern documentary because there's no score there's no music it's just factual yeah. this happened this happened and there's no way it's not emotionally leading if that's the right word well I think all documentaries now the difference was so stark even between what you consider a factual documentary yeah. the fact they put any music on there your brain's picking up that score and reacting to it so any sad music I mean, the classic example is not in a documentary like X Factor where nothing's really happening. They put this sort of lifting music yeah, at the yeah. end of the someone's, oh, right, what's happened? Your your nan died and she said she always wanted to be on on X Factor and they do that uplifting music. But it works, music. you know, it works. And if that is what the emotional beat of that story is at that time, then I don't think we can resent them for doing that. But it, it's when it feels unearned, I think, when they're sort of forcing the point yeah please don't force my point don't force it at all you'll snap a snap <laughs> a snap's point is another uh, email who's this from this is from uh, Weeble on Twitter Weebly Wee- Weebly Weeble oh is it sorry well, I don't know. That's from Anne Coletta. Yeah. This is from Anne Coletta. She says, Hi, David Marrick and Buddy. Long time no write. Sorry about that. Hey, I actually stopped and sat down to write you an email when I thought of a question for you. Do you know how rare that has been lately? I mean, I think of lots of questions and I tweet inane comments at you, but to actually sit down and write something uh, somewhat thought out, it's a miracle. Anyway, an actual serious question. Are there some films you can't look at objectively? Maybe the subject is too dear to your heart or the issue is too serious and you get lost and forget to think critically. I had that experience with The Zookeeper's Wife and ended up just sitting there crying through the whole thing. I mean, yeah, it's been a tough week and the world is a steaming pile of shit right now, but I should have been able to separate myself from it a bit more and think critically about performances or directing or something. In any case, I think having known survivors of the Holocaust and knowing their families and having studied it in the literature surrounding it and this film being based on a true story well it was just too close to the heart well uh well i think that's well this has been a nice cheery email and i hope it is finding you all well keep watching the films um films that you you are that you can't think critically on you're too close to for me it's nostalgic it's those yeah, nostalgic that's often films. the one isn't yeah. it yeah where you go uh it's too important for me to change my mind on now I don't know uh, it's a different type of film yeah films I've loved as a kid I might not ever like or watch now that I just enjoyed because it, I feel as they, I associate them with being the safe sort of haven of youth mm. that's why Stranger Things sort of preys upon that absolutely uh, literally and I wonder if we will get more of that to come with every 30-year gap, that, you know, we will be getting 90s nostalgia films about little kids um, going to raves together. Um, so the problem is... And watching Bart Simpson. Is that they're all, t- all the kids... 
I did a, uh, some short film when I was in the car for about seven hours listening to other people talk but one of the ladies in it was talking about her kids saying how they're completely different because they just play computer games and they don't go out they sit on these weird seats in front of uh, the computer with their headphones on right and uh, they talk to each other through their headsets yes playing the games so I don't know whether that will make interesting films in 30 years time of kids just sitting there because the whole the bike chase thing which is absolutely brilliant it's cinematic stuck in the sort of 70s and 80s the the equivalent of sitting around on your computer doing it isn't quite half as exciting but that just takes a bit more uh, creativity in shooting it doesn't it of making being inside their heads and their imaginations of what what, what's it like for them they'll be on Spider-Man 200 by then 200 well I've seen a film good for you what have you seen well, the other day I thought, you know what, I fancy, sometimes we go to the cinema, we watch good stuff on Netflix, but sometimes you just want to watch something shit. Yeah. I want to watch a rubbish film, and I'm a big fan of the rom-coms. I've, um, and who is the king of the rom-coms? The king of the rom-coms? Oh, the king of actor of 90s rom-coms. Hugh Grant. Of course it is Hugh Grant, who... I have to say, every time About a Boy is on, I always watch the entire thing. One of my favourite sleeper films. Absolutely love it. I think he's brilliant. So then... Uh, I think he's an underused actor, definitely, as well. I think he's fantastic. And more versatile than people give him, give him credit for. Well, you may remember, David, around 2009 there was a film where uh, Hugh Grant and teamed up with Sex and the City star Sarah Jessica Parker. It's the dream team. To make a film called Did You Did You Hear About the Morgans? It's an excellent title, isn't it? Did You Hear About the Morgans? It, it's, I'm forgetting the title as I say I it. Literally, <laughs> I watched the film and then I tried to talk about the film and I didn't. All I knew was what have happened to the Morgans? Something with Morgan. Did you, what with Morgan? Did you hear about the Morgans? What was up with all those Morgans? So you think that's a bad mistake? That is just a minor mistake when <laughs> it comes to this film. Mistake. This is an absolutely incredible piece of shit. Is now I'm trying to cast my mind back to when the trailers were actually on TV and stuff. Is this about them going into witness protection? Yes, it is. Why? Because they, they've they've committed a murder. What have they done? No, they they accidentally witness. Um, they they've split up. That's right. sad. At the start of the film, they uh, they put up for about two or three months ago, and they meet up at some do, and then by some point, I mean, instantly forgot they they witness a murder, yeah. and the bloke see the murderer sees them. So they have to be put into witness protection together, and they don't want to be together. Yes, right. And they're forced to somewhere. I think it's in Wyoming, uh, to a small town where uh, these people put them up. It's Mary Mary Stewart, it's Mary Stewart Masterson and, and Sam Elliott, who are great actors, playing the um, Mary Stein. Sorry, Mary Steenbergen, who you probably remember from Back to the Future Two. Uh, she's oh, yes. married. She's great, and uh, Sam Elliott, who is also he plays a sort of steely cowboy mustachio cowboy. He's got a great. He always does. Dick, I mean, yeah. Sam Elliott's got the best mustache in Hollywood. They are the couple. And uh, I don't think at any point during the making of this film 
anyone read the script. <laughs> I don't understand how it ever got through and how they... It's just, first of all, Sarah Jessica Parker is probably one of the most coldest... She's normally quite cold on screen. No, she's usually very warm oh, really? and likeable. Yeah, she's got... In, in her youth, in I'm thinking Flight of the Navigator, Hocus Pocus, um, uh, LA Story. She's very good, like incredibly charismatic on screen. Well, she is almost a robot. There's no chemistry of Hugh Grant. I mean, you can never, you can never understand why they'd be a couple in the first place. They're completely right. different. Hugh Grant is, I mean, he's not at his best. It's as if he has been in a coma and he's just remembering his life and his and his I wonder if they didn't get on maybe that was maybe. the well it is as if he's just come out of a coma and he's just remembering who he was and he's acting his skills but not enough to do them properly yeah but there's not enough time and they need to film this film so they've got to do it <laughs> uh, Elizabeth Moss is in it in a really she's from Mad Men and it's quite, it was in The Handmaid's, the Handmaid's Tale. Tale yeah doing a really shitty small underwritten part you know a side part right. side, sort of C plot line C plot line thing it's interesting seeing someone at the start of their career doing something really shit I mean the, the jokes in it are it's not funny the jokes aren't there the, the story doesn't make sense everyone is in fact I'm going to read you this is the IMDB uh Review of someone who went to the London movie premiere for this film. Right. I attended this is back in December 2009. I attended the London movie premiere for this on Tuesday, and there is always one big problem about premieres. If the movie is bad, you can't leave. I realised very early on in this movie that I had a big problem. <laughs> Getting through this movie and hearing other people chuckle politely at jokes just so as not to offend Sarah Jessica Parker and Hugh Grant made the atmosphere unbearable the storyline was terrible dialogue predictable and the characters were as if plucked straight from other movies Hugh Grant was Charles from Four Weddings Sam Elliott was Virgil from Tombstone Mary Steenberg was Clara from Back to the Future 3 and Sarah Jessica Parker was Paula from Failure to Launch and he spent the entire movie thinking about how much better all of those were uh I would love to have been in the actual screening. That would be amazing. All those people watching the premiere and it it being awful. I am just looking up the career of the director, who's a guy called Mark Lawrence, and he has exclusively directed Hugh Grant vehicles. He He did two weeks' notice, uh, music and lyrics, Did You Hear About the Morgans, and The Rewrites, all of them Hugh Grant vehicles. I mean, this... All of them stinkers as well, right? It's without merit. This film. It is atrocious. It's not funny. It's as if it's as if you've uh, aliens have come down and they've tried. So said, oh, can you try and do British humour or sort of American humour?" And they've not. A, a, a computer could do a better job writing a, a script than this. He wrote this. This uh, director wrote *Miss Congeniality*, which actually I think is a good film. Uh, it's a fun film. Um, but yeah, how weird. This is a sort of post-Love Actually Hugh Grant who's just sort of drifting around being in crap. Yeah. But its um, budget was... An est- I thought, is it a low-budget thing? Is it just a quick thing they mm. pushed out there? No. Estimated £58 million. <laughs> But the, here's the truly astounding news is the gross in the US, or world, worldwide gross, 
was 84 million. So this film well worth it. Made 26 million pounds. So basically they said Sarah Jessica Parker is a big star who's trying to break it into films uh, because of Sex and the City being so huge. Hugh Grant is a massive star looking for a next vehicle, blah, blah, blah. Put them together, pay them whatever they want. Pay them whatever they want. They take it and it works. Made well 20, done, 20, humanity. £26 million. Pounds. <laughs> I'm just writing... I might as well just write the word milk repeatedly and then get famous people to say that. And put some music over the top so uh, whilst he's saying milk here, we're feeling sad and then we're going to feel slightly happy he's saying milk. Then we're going to feel a bit scared about what's going to happen next when he says milk. There's what, I mean, there's a bit when they in the trailers where there's a bear basically comes onto the ground. I remember that bit, yes. And it's set up by just them seeing signs in the airport saying what to do what to, what should you do if you meet a bear and they sort, of, they sort of go well that will never happen but obviously it's going to yeah <laughs> you couldn't it's literally is signposted they've literally signposted it is it a sort of fish out of water comedy is Wyoming an interesting place I know nothing about Wyoming it's not, it's the way they treat it is though they have gone to a tribe in the middle of the Amazon. Well, the poster is a direct rip of Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's what they were going for. But, but so they're a couple from New York, and New York's built up to be the sort of paradise that is modern living, and Wyoming is just somewhere so backward where they you know haven't got phones or internet. But it's treated as if, in actuality, it's the equivalent of me leaving London and sort of going to the suburbs, but, but behaving as though it's. <laughs> a thousand years in the past yeah. and not being able to communicate properly with the people there and they're all really weird because they watch TV in the evenings and occasionally eat ready meals but treat as if that is something totally alien from uh, their lives I, I just think you should if you'll find yourself watching this going wow this got this far without no one could even make up a joke <laughs> you just say to, to, to Hugh Grant Do you know what this is awful just say just say a random sentence just say and that will funny. make this yeah. scene better just react to it and ad lib it whatever Sarah says to you just say something that you think is actually funny rather than what we've told you to say it is awful oh, wow. beyond awful but I did not enjoy the experience because it's that bad it's come back round the circle again well, I really like Hugh Grant yeah and I really like Sarah Jessica Parker I'm like, not a fan of her I always forget and then I watch her and go no she's good in this and I haven't really seen anything from the 2000s with her in though to be fair I've only seen things from the 80s and 90s can you remember what the title of the film was um what (laughs) what we put inside the Morgans no um when you (sighs) can you really can you not remember it what is it do you remember that time with the Morgans. No. <laughs> what? What's going on, Morgans? No. One more chance. Have you seen the things the Morgans? Are Did doing? you hear about the Morgans? <laughs> no. That sounds terrible. Well, if you. Uh, How many merits did you say? One. No. I'll give it two merits. Two merits. But the more I think about it, the, the, uh, the less offended I am by it. Right. Because it gives you hope that they didn't make a sequel so they must have learned well, something just you could be without talent mm. 
<laughs> you can still become a multi-millionaire. Yeah, so when your child comes home with a, or they've written a story at school and it's one of the worst things you've ever read, you could potentially make £26 million out of, if you cast the right people in that story. Wow. Yeah, what happened to the... Mo- no, did you hear about <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's it for this week. Um, We will be back next week. If you'd like to write us a letter, then please go to filmfandango.com and fill out the form. And also, we do this for free. So if you've enjoyed the series so far, uh, this is series one of 600, and then we will start series two when we get to episode 601. But if you've enjoyed any of it, then and you'd like to donate towards our running costs, then please go to filmfandango.com and click the donate button. Uh, Everyone who has, thank you. Thank you very much. We will be back next week. Keep Keep watching watching the the films. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.